Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's been a mixed year for the Slovenian superstar Primoz Roglic. A strong showing in the spring classics, pulling out of the Tour de France after a crash and injury, a gold medal in the Olympic time trial and a third in a row victory at the Vuelta. On this edition, we talk to someone who's been with him pretty much every mile of his journey. And from Ruler Issue 106, the ugly reality behind cycling's cattle market mentality. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by LACA, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Now, you're a Ruler podcast listener and presumably a Ruler reader as well, so I'm sure you don't need a beginner's guide to bike racing. Except, despite following bike racing since the mid-80s, I've just finished reading a book which does just that, explain the complex and confusing rules, written and unwritten, of the peloton. And I learn something new on pretty much every page. The Slovenian writer and columnist Laura Klintz is responsible for the book, and she's closely followed Primoz Roglic since he turned from skiing to cycling. And she's used that experience to give a unique view from inside the pro scene. Laura also happens to be Primoz Roglic's partner and mother to their son, and she admits that when she first got involved in cycling, she knew very little about it. I didn't really know, like, a lot. I knew a few riders, of course, but I knew Tour de France, but actually about, you know, cycling, following cycling, or how to watch cycling or understand what am I looking at, um, I didn't know a lot like i'm uh, describing in the prologue already i i thought you know that for the breakaway is always 100 percent that the breakaway will win and uh, no i didn't know a lot i knew a few things about sport because i did sports myself but um specifically about cycling i didn't know a lot especially about you know road cycling of course you have a bike you ride a bike as a kid but yeah, road road biking was not cycling was not familiar to me. And I guess at the same time, Primoz was um, uh, learning about the sport as well, having sort of come across from ski jumping. Yes, sure. But um, he did a few like duathlons, you know, uh, running, cycling, and I. I remember I was just getting to to know him at that point. It was more than ten years ago. Yeah, he was kind of pissed because he was not good, you know, in cycling. <laughs> Running was natural for him, but um, cycling kind of upset him. So that's why he, you know, put a lot of effort uh, to to get to know better this sport. Huh? Yeah, so that seemed to have worked, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, even for, for us, 
it's an unbelievable story i would say i mean for me i followed his um like develop i would say so it's a really a privilege to to see and to you know to leave all these things uh, but yeah it's it's quite incredible yeah so why did you want to write the book i was always writing already when i was in uh, primary school i was writing i was you know making notes about everything and then of course my 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 wish was that i will uh, write a book one day and then um, i just didn't have a like a story to tell that i would find enough interesting that i would like to explain to the people about it and then um, i thought about this idea a long time ago about you know like doing uh, cycling for dummies guide it was, it was you know then we we got uh, a kit and this idea moved away for a little bit and, but then you know the vuelta happened in 2019 it just kind of fell into place because in that vuelta we really experienced i think most of the things that you can experience in in cycling like team time trial uh, itt mountain stages long mountain stages like echelons crashes almost everything and i thought i saw this uh, vuelta as a um, appropriate study case you know just something to build a story on of course cycling is becoming a really popular sport in slovenia you know i'm always watching following with my friends family they always ask me like questions that now they're quite obvious for me that you know that uh, because i know the answers but for them was like for me in the beginning i didn't know like i said the breakaway uh, why it doesn't survive or why why the guys are wearing different jerseys and you know the the points and people ask me question like where where do they pee and uh, why he's standing you know so much so far behind on the start this is already like a handicap you know before they even start and i found it um, yeah interesting the idea you know about explaining pe- to people uh, why things are like this. And the book was published first in Slovenia, um, where presumably interest in cycling has now massively increased over the past few years. Yes, it was uh, for, for me in Slovenia, it was really a big um, success because we sold out all the books even before they were, um, when the book came out, we sold everything in pre-order. Now we will start the fifth how to say fifth series of the the fifth printing yeah the fifth printing yes yes of course the yes so Slovenia is a really small market but as i said and as you said um, that um, it's becoming really a national sport when you sat down to write the book um how did you go about it yeah i was not really <laughs> you know to sit down and to write i started uh, you know with the most interesting things i first i picked uh, together the my like diaries from the vuelta that i wrote on the way on the on on route and then i i I, i'm not a really organized uh, person so so it was not like uh, i will start here and and here i start i remember that i i describe the monuments first because uh they're really interesting no i then then i just jumped 
from the beginning to the end. And then I remember that I was uh, writing, um, you know, the prologue, the, the, the starting pages. This was the, these were my last pages that I wrote. Huh? In in Corona, in the first Corona time, we were watching a lot of um, you know the re- recordings of the old races, and I got a few ideas uh, also from there to how to put categories down or how to you know just to explain via some order that it's not. Uh, too much uh, confused, yeah. And do you think it was an interesting process for Primos himself um, to sort of help you with the book? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we had um, a lot of fun doing it. A lot of times I had to, you know, ask some other people because there are just uh, a few things that, of course, a writer doesn't have to know or doesn't have to know. They have a lot of other things and worries to think about during the race so they don't know this all these specific rules huh? so yeah that was the that was the the fun part was when i was asking him some <laughs> questions you know he didn't even know how to answer me but um at least he said that he liked it <laughs> i hope he was uh, yeah he was honest you focus in the book a lot on following the Welter in 2019, um, the first Grand Tour victory. Um, it sounds like really hard work. I mean, just, just following the race around, with, especially with your, with your young child. Yeah, it's, I like this way of traveling. I like the, you know, the, the adrenaline. I like the, I like the emotions, the ups and downs and all the things you meet on the way. And, you know, we always travel with the camper also. This year also, uh, yeah, last year as well. And uh, it's quite uh, uh, an adventure. But as you said, yeah, you have to be really, you know, you have to expect the unexpected. And of course, with the, the baby, it's always uh, after this Vuelta, the first one, because now our son was really, really small. I thought, I mean, how bad mom am I, you know, that I really did this. But in the end, everything was fine. I, I um, And we're still doing it. Uh, he loves it. He likes to travel. So I think, um, yeah, it's the, the, the spirit of, uh, of a life that we want to raise him in, you know. So, yeah, it's not always you have to fight for the things. You have to, for example, when you travel with the camper, you have to fight for your spot. For water, for electricity, for you know the, the road closures, the and it's it's kind of a race within the race. You know we have you know when when I talk with Primoz after the stage in the Grand Tour, for example, and that we are you know following him, we have completely different stories to share, huh? uh, and it's really it's really interesting or yeah fun to put explain each other to about. Uh, days that we had huh? because we were basically in the same same places we were you know on the same event but we were like uh, complete doing completely different things and you know you see the racing from a completely different point of view i guess yes 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 it's true huh? i mean you see more if you're watching on the tv but you know in terms of emotion the the like the shared moments the memories that you make and the the effort I, I really think that I do my part if I'm there. Huh? Probably it doesn't make a difference, but you know, at least the feeling is better. So 
Yeah. Well, it's not it's not long ago that um, partners and families and children were banned from, you know, following the riders on the uh, Tour de France or the big races because it was thought that it might in some way distract the riders from from their job. But that does seem to have changed. And uh, presumably you feel that uh, that Primoz um, uh, benefits from knowing that you're there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so that uh, he's a really focused man, and I think it's more like a motivation, yes, than a distraction. You know, like a something more to fight for. You know, because uh, sometimes to fight for the results or for winning, it's um, yeah, you you need a bit more, and maybe you know, in, in I, I I'm pretty sure that in some races we we are that extra little kicker but you do talk in the book about how hard it is as a partner to watch uh, your partner doing such a dangerous sport with all the crashes and the and the risks yeah it's 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 never easy i think every person in my position feel, feels the same huh? the whole other half of the peloton feel the same and this is you get used to these things but you you never really accept you know, uh, it's it's always painful when they crash, when, you know, it's always stressful when you see them descending like like 100k per hour or something like that. And it's just, it's not a thing um, that uh, I can easily accept, yes. So for me, maybe, you you know, also I'm, I'm not like the others because I'm maybe more emotional or, you know, I don't have, I don't know how to to not be so involved, you know. Yeah, in the end, you can re- be really happy, you know, when they're all safe over the finish line. Now, it doesn't matter the, the results because in the first place, they are, I mean, in this case, Primoz is, uh, is not a cyclist now for me. He's, uh, he's my, my partner. And uh, yes, uh, sometimes it can be really, really... Um, um, so we also get a high pulse um, when you're watching uh, on the couch at home. It's, uh, you would rather turn off the TV and not see what's happening and just check the results later and that's it. Uh, but uh, yeah, you cannot, you cannot, I mean, at, at least me, I cannot do that. So, so I'm, uh, yeah, I'm suffering with... <laughs> Primoz is now what 31 Um, not old at all for a pro rider what what do you think the next few years hold what's what what are the ambitions Uh, yeah that's maybe a more question for him than for me (laughs) Um, but uh, yeah I think as long as he he will have fun you know and he will find like the real reason to continue and that something will push him to do better and better I think he will he will continue, and uh, I don't I, I know he doesn't like to be defined by the result, you know. But uh, yeah, there are some still things to do, uh, some to to fight for, and um, yeah, we will see. Huh? Yeah, he's not the youngest, <laughs> but he's young in the cycling ages. I would say maybe younger than the others if we if we know that he bought a first bike when he was what 22, 23. Huh? The season is on till Lombardia, and then um, 
then it's finished yes um and when this happens you know we need a f- few days just to learn again how to live with each other <laughs> uh yeah but uh, you know all in all we are we are normal i think family Well, thank you for joining us, Laura. And A Kilometre Zero by Laura Clint is published in English by Pippin's Books and it's available online. Thank you. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by LACA, bicycle insurance powered by the community. So my name is Oren Peleg and I'm an investor in LACA. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people on two wheel. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis and I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have. And I think Lacquer's business model in the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment. Why, hello there. Podcast interruption alert, but I will only take a few short moments to say that if you're enjoying this podcast, you will love the regular magazine. So if you're not a reader already, then you can subscribe at ruler.cc for as little as £6 per month. If you don't speak Northern Irish, that's six times 100 pennies. And for the price of a few coffees, you get regular columns from the wonderful Ned Bolting, myself, Orla Shinoui, and some of the very finest independent cycling journalism there is, all wrapped up in a wondrously beautiful publication. Go to ruler.cc. I'll leave you to it. Thanks, Ola. And Ruler subscribers also get 10% off tickets to the best cycling show in the world, Ruler Live, which returns to London from November the 4th to the 6th with a great selection of top brands, bikes and guests, including Anna van der Breggen, Geraint Thomas, Roman Bardet, Marcel Kittel, Fabian Cancellara, Imogen Cotter, Matt Stevens, Ned Bolting, loads more. Search Ruler Live online for tickets. And subscribe to the magazine now to get the groundbreaking Ruler Issue 106, the empowerment issue. From it, Phil Wright reads Cattle Auction by Daniel Stewart. My polished hooves strut under the barn's high roof. My toned little bottom flirts with the crowd as you cling onto the bars separating us, entangled in the conundrum of whether or not to welcome me into your farm. Your fingers loosen their grip as the auctioneer's gavel slams down at the confirmation of a deal. Our eyes divorce as the cattleman whips me away off to another owner. We will never see each other again. I moo and tears stream down my cow face as I leave the barn. Steely-eyed, you show no mercy. Have I got your attention? I want to talk about xenophobia in cycling. A few years ago, I plodded around Europe attempting to make a living by racing my bike. This involved landing on a leading amateur French team, Ennemont Cyclism. I soon found myself in their candy-floss-coloured get-up alongside a bunch of Bretons, the sole ghostly Irishman of the lot. Differences aside, we got along very well. 
The issue was that we always sided with our differences. Taking full advantage of the language gap, we openly swore in each other's faces, alongside strategically ensuring we finished second and third on the podium, rather than one of us standing on the top spot. If it wasn't for meeting plenty of other lovely French people, those pink losers may have become my definition of Frenchness. Due to this, my 2015 cycling season was one of solitude, reflecting and observing bike races as I partook in them. What follows are two parables I learnt whilst on that enforced silent retreat. Scraping the Bowl French amateur racing shares a key similarity with the grandest grand tour, a late race start. At Le Tour, time is passed on the team bus or getting one's hair cut. Unfortunately, budgets are more stretched on the amateur side of the sport. Breakfast is served needlessly early and becomes a time for a young adult who has alienated himself from his team to truly ponder life. You see, breakfast is the cyclist's cattle auction. We cluster, like the farmers, in our little colourful uniforms, gossiping about who will be good and who will be bad, and we deal out judgments based on those assumptions. Some teams are prepared with their own breakfast picnics, not having to rely on the usually unreliable food supplies put on by the race organisation. Those teams would usually be very good. Other teams would get what they were given, which suited me fine, because if my mother ran a cycling team, that motto would be emblazoned above the arse of the bib short. Ultimately, assumptions were made based on nationality. As paddy Irishmen, the French, sanctioned to look after me, were usually focused on getting the potatoes flushed out of my blood. The French, not sanctioned to care for me, looked down at my pale, pot-bellied figure in dismay as they ate through their avant-garde diet plans, which varied from a sports chocolate cake, I am also shrugging as to what that is, to some strange fruit bars wrapped in paper that I could never remove, so just ate through the paper instead. The spirit of St. Patrick shone through me in mysterious ways. Regardless of how early breakfast had to be, Italians would always walk into a canteen as the cleanest, shiniest group of people. Scandinavian folk always looked and sounded terrifying, and even though it could be suggested that their humour is similar to that of the Northern Irish, the sheer disparity in how we pronounced our vowels never allowed us to get there. Regardless, the majority of all bike racers and helpers survived on coffee and relied upon the race organisation to provide it, which they did through the medium of a giant urn, placed far from the food to prevent horrific intercuing. Here, the ultimate prank was played. Coffee bowls. The French for no discernible reason other than perhaps being able to dip their croissant, glug their breakfast coffee from vast bowls. Regardless of a cyclist's reputation, be they Peter Sagan or Daniel Stewart, if they were unaccustomed to French racing, 
they would fall into a Where's the Mugs dance. I've written a short screenplay of this below. Peter Sagan is excited and at the front of the coffee queue. Daniel waits a fraction behind, eager also. Peter looks at the sacred urn. Cocking his head slightly to the left, Peter stares at the bowls. He looks at the urn again and then at the bowls. Urn, bowls, urn, bowls. Daniel can tell from Peter's frantic head movements he has not raced an amateur French race in a while. Peter swerves round. Peter, staring intensely at Daniel. You, where are the mugs? I need a coffee. Daniel, his grin descending into a cackle. My dear Peter, you may win every stage of this race, but you've got a lot to learn about French amateur racing hospitality. You are the only mug. We drink from bowls here. Peter, submissive, nodding wildly at Daniel. Thank you for your wisdom, Daniel. You will forever be in my thoughts. To this day... I still don't know why coffee was served in bowls at the French bike races I took part in. To save money on dishes? For hygiene reasons? Whatever it is, I like to think that all French race organisers banged their heads together one day and agreed in unison the only way to action equality within cycling was to ensure that all canteen entrants, regardless of their talent, preparedness or wealth, would be resigned to slurping their morning caffeine fix from a bowl. Fair play to them. Maybe if those French organisers set coffee vats to the side and applied the same approach to our shockingly underrepresented sport, progress might be made. The Nations Cup races were a time for me to reunite with my Irish cycling pals. This season-long series of under-23 races included all the world's best young talents. I'd relay the hilarious bold stories to them before we inevitably got slaughtered by Mads Pedersen and Dylan Grunewagen on the roads of Netherlands, Belgium and France. Without doubt, they were the most catastrophic races I have ever and will ever take part in. Parkour describes the style of racing to a point. But the fact that no nation could be fully dominant meant the pattern of action would only be found out as we all clicked in and got going. The neutralised zone. Nerves untenable, people unrecognisable. The unpredictability is overwhelming. If the commissaire's car needs to slow down, I will shudder, praying and hoping no one snaps my chain and seat stays off instead of pulling their own brakes to stay behind the car. In a ruck of elbows, curbs float past like snakes in a lake, only seeing them when it's too late. The commissaire drives off as the flag mercifully goes down. Nerves are managed as the speed skyrockets. I search for safe nations to hide behind. Dutch, French, German, Italian. They will win these races and thus they will stay upright. Everyone else is a passenger praying for survival. I'm reluctant to go past a Russian or a Kazakh. They will shoulder me into a ditch or a wall or an abyss just so they can get a better position in the peloton. Similarly, behind Japanese, Algerian, Mexican, forget it. I'm not sitting behind you and crashing. If heaven and hell exist and I am subjected to the latter, 
It will just be me put on a brand of bike I hate, but will not name here, in the neutralised zone of a Nations Cup race forever. Although I'm pretty keen for heaven, looking back, I made some pretty clear xenophobic judgments while riding my bike. Thoughts I had and decisions I made that I didn't even realise I was making. I rode those races with cyclists, not nations. Some hold advantages and others don't. Unsubstantiated assumptions are natural for gluey, wet-eared cycling teenagers to have. But it is also important for wizened cycling has-beens to confirm them as wrong. The Western European nations were more successful because they grew up on the roads which held these races. Their skill had nothing to do with their nationality, everything to do with their journey as to how they got to be part of the same manic race. Support within cycling's infrastructure to ease the passage for those without our privileges will not happen circumstantially. More honesty, effort and focus is needed to achieve a more representative peloton. These two tales I've shared with you are of me as a young, sprightly fellow using preconceptions of someone's origins to try to get ahead and win. Why does this happen? If I told you I have fair hair, fair skin and an unfair advantage. Would that help? In 2020, cycling blogger Pusher of Pedals wrote, Out of a total of 528 riders at all three Grand Tours, four were black. Let's use the Tour de France to put that figure into context. France's overall proportion of ethnic minority groups within their entire population is 15%. Applying this factor to the 184 riders who started the 2021 edition, 27 BAME riders should have started. But they didn't. Nick Glamini was the sole black participant. Isn't that interesting? Or is disgusting a more apt word? I watched all these races and didn't notice. I never noticed the cycling posters in my childhood bedroom were all of white males. I never noticed that every UCI president since my birth, and well before it, has been a white man. I never noticed that every race I wished to win myself, from the small club ones back home in Northern Ireland to the biggest in the world, had almost exclusively been won by white men. In no way should information gathered from one individual be used to determine the image of a nation. But it happens. As a boy from Belfast, blessed to have grown up in the aftermath of a war of segregation rather than during it, I can emphasise with how easy it is to exclude, judge and discriminate. But how do we make it less easy? Seeing cycling as it stands worries me. There are laughably weak reprimands for racist behaviour in our sport. And there is no outward goal of ending the near total absence of diversity within professional cycling in the first place. At home in Northern Ireland, my grandparents have this lovely portrait of Jesus Christ hanging on their sitting room wall. 
His blue eyes draw you to him and his skin is peachy white. He has a thick, glowing beard and fabulous blonde hair. I've looked at that picture many times and thought, although it may not physically represent how Jesus actually looked, it helps my grandparents feel happy in themselves and their religion. However, nowadays, I think of how many people have looked at that universal picture and felt the opposite. I'm not a cow. You're not a farmer. Let's stop making judgments of people the same way farmers purchase cattle. Phil Wright was reading Cattle Auction by Daniel Stewart from Ruler Issue 106. And that's it from this Ruler Conversations. There'll be a Ruler Tech Podcast next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.